Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And welcome back to another episode of the Still Curtain Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Jagai, editor of StillCurtain.com. Joining me today is Michelle Majuk, researcher for NFL.com. We're going to talk some Larry Ogunjobi today. Go back and look at that signing. Share our thoughts on that. Uh, uh, figure out his role with the Steelers this year, maybe. And then we're also going to look at some of the biggest uh, Steelers training camp battles coming up this summer. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about a topic that has a lot of Steelers fans up in arms right now, and that is the Madden ratings. Madden 23 is releasing its ratings, uh, slow, slow releasing them this week. And some Steelers fans are not happy about uh, how some of them are turning out so far. Minka Fitzpatrick, we just found out, missed the top 10 didn't rank inside one of the top 10 safeties for Madden this year. Uh, Chris Boswell has an 82 rating. And the one that people are most upset about is TJ Watt getting snubbed of that 99 club in favor of miles Garrett who did and Watt was rated three points lower. So Michelle, do you have any thoughts on that? Listen, I try not to get upset about Madden ratings, right? Like it really does not matter at yes. all. It matters what they do on the field, but I do have this, you know, I want to protect TJ Watt at all costs because I feel like he does not get the respect that Miles Garrett for some reason gets like get put, gets put on the top here with Aaron Donald, which is understandable. But I truly believe that there's no reason why Miles Garrett would be ranked ahead of TJ Watt, especially after this last year, but just with their whole career. Yeah, that one is just hard to figure out. I mean, I'm not sure what Watt has to do to earn that 99 club <laughs> grade, but three straight all-pro appearances, a defensive player of the year last year, crushed Garrett in just every category. I had a, a tweet out about that this morning in just every statistical department, and yet we're, he's still in a tier of his own. Garrett is at the top, and so I don't know what when Madden's going to change that, but that's it's kind of crazy. It's absurd to think that, uh, Watt was once again snub. Maybe that'll give him a little extra motivation for this year, though. Maybe a little push. I don't know if he cares about Madden ratings or not, though. And I'm seeing a lot of tweets out of people showing like win rate or something from ESPN, a lot of those screenshots. But when you look at next gen stats, which I trust, obviously, working with the NFL, but they have TJ Watt with a 16.3 quarterback pressure percent uh, in 2021. And Garrett was at 13.6. So a pretty large gap there. And Garrett gets the blitz pretty much on every single passing snap. 97.8% blitz percentage for Garrett. Watt was all the way down at 88.3. So Garrett gets all of these opportunities, so many more, so many more pass rush snaps than Watt. Yet Watt still has killed him in the sack department. Like he did have fewer quarterback pressures overall, 66 to 60. But when you have 100 more pass rush attempts, you're going to probably have a few more pressures. So his pressure rate is just so much higher. And then you have to think about everything else that Watt does the stuff percentage, which means like the amount of times you stop 
uh, a player on the run behind the line of scrimmage, a positive play, so much higher than Garrett or Miles Garrett, 7.4 to 4.4%. He has more forced fumbles and he's just more clutch. Like, do you remember a moment where Miles Garrett, you're mm -hmm. watching a game and he wins a game for the Browns? You're like, wow, like that dude put that team on the back of his, yeah. uh, on his back and won a game. I, I can't remember one of those moments. And you could remember so many times that Watt has done that. Yeah, and that to me is the biggest difference between the two. I mean, you look at splash plays and it's just, I mean, no comparison at all in any department. Two years ago, Watt had eight force fumbles. He led the league in that. I mean, the pass deflections are insane. And those those are, are defining plays there as well, too. And, and so when we look at the, the number of splash plays that Garrett's make makes, it's not comparable. I know that there are arguments out there to be had for Garrett. I think that if you're grading them strictly off of pass rushers, I think they're both in the elite tier. If you want to look like deep into advanced metrics, there's pass rush win rate and all of that, which if, if how, depending on how much you trust that stat Garrett led this year, but Watts still led collectively over the past three seasons in pass rush win rate, there's double team rate, but those when we're stretching like that for a reason to, to make Garrett out to be a better player than Watt, then I, I feel like we're digging too hard. I feel like we're kind of overlooking, especially when it comes to some subjective statistics like that. Do you want to make it super simple? Miles Garrett Let's has recorded two plus sacks in just one of his last 26 games. One of his last 26 games. And that was okay. against Justin Fields. He had four and a half sacks that game this past year, which yes. made up four and a half of his 16 sacks. Just that was his one game that he had recorded two or more sacks in those last 26. That's wild. And he falls apart at the end of seasons. He had three sacks in the mm -hmm. last seven games last year and just one sack in the last four games. The team was still clearly in playoff contention and they really needed these wins. And there was a lot of close games where, Hey, if you make this play, maybe it can be a game changing play. They lost a two points in two of the last uh, four games. Like that could have been a difference maker. And then even in 2020, he had nine sacks in his first seven games. And then just three sacks in the final seven, one sack over the two playoff games. It's like, where's your clutch gene, dude? Like it, I, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. And that matters to me. Oh, it certainly does. And I feel like if we're, if we're talking about the all around football player, I feel like this debate should have been put to rest like a year or two ago, because I feel like Watt has just been so much better of a football player all around when it comes to run stopping, rushing the passer, creating splash plays, intercepting the ball. Even I think he has four career interceptions and, and that's just it, that kind of stuff is something that Garrett doesn't do, especially when it comes to batting pass at the line of scrimmage. You think that he would yeah. be just as good at it, but I don't know what's an instinctual thing. I don't know what it is, but there are just things that better is Watt at. And it happens to be most categories <laughs> of the game. And so Garrett's a great player in his own right. Give him credit where credit is due. Did he deserve the 99 club over Watt? I don't believe that he did. I think that Watt's been the better football player of all the last three years. I think that pretty much anything you want to use, including I, I feel like game tape as well. If you just want to strictly use game tape and, and look at Watt's impact that he has late in the game in the fourth quarter, that's huge. And that's, that's something that can't be understated either. Anyway, I feel like we can talk about TJ Watt <laughs> and Miles Garrett all day long. We might have to devote an episode just to that. But let's move on today because on the schedule, we are talking about Larry Ogunjobi. Uh, this is a signing that was a little bit surprising. A lot of a lot of fans probably didn't realize that he was still there at this point in free agency. He was a guy that the Bears were going to pay big money to. And then they backed out of the deal last minute because they were, they were worried with some injury stuff. 
Michelle, how do you feel about the Larry Ogunjobi signing? Is it a big move? Is it just an average free agent move? And what do you think he's going to do this year? I think it's a pretty average move. I think it's a move they had to make because we needed more depth for sure. But the foot injury does scare me a little bit because he had to have surgery on the foot. And then, like you yes. said, he failed the physical physical. And just in March with the Bears, he was going to get a pretty nice contract with them. And then it fell through. So it's like, how severe is that foot injury? The recovery, they said they hope to have him back by training camp. We'll see what happens. I do think that could be a big part of it. And then also like, I don't live or die off PFF grades whatsoever, but he's hasn't received a grade above a 60 since his rookie season in 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, he ranked, he had a 38.9 run defensive grade is which we really need help for uh, on the team ranked th 63rd out of 69 interior defense alignment that played 500 plus defensive snaps last year in that run defensive grade. Now I think he's a much better pass rusher than Chris Wormley, although they both had seven sacks last year, Chris Wormley only had 15 quarterback pressures. So just insanely efficient on those pressures while Ogunjobi had uh, 42 quarterback pressures. So very different. So I am excited about that aspect of his game. I just, I, I don't think he's going to make a massive difference when it comes to our run defense, which is a, a pretty, that's what we really needed to focus on this off season. Yeah, I agree with you. I would call this a quality signing. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Quality signing, it adds depth to the defensive line. Uh, it's not some huge splash play. I think at the same time, you could be getting a, a player that offers a certain niche and that niche is to get after the quarterback pass rushing from the interior. This is not a player that is in the Chris Wormley mold, in my opinion. He's he's not the tall, long uh, defensive lineman who really plays that five technique role. I actually think a better comparison would be maybe a poor man's Javon Hargrave, another former Steeler, very similar body type, explosive off the line, not elite height or length, uh, but a guy that can really knife in there, get after the quarterback, make some plays. I mean, we're talking about a guy that, that he still had seven sacks last year rushing from the interior. I talked to uh, a couple of buddies of mine that are Bengals fans um, and do some podcasting with the Bengals. And they were they were disappointed to see Larry Ogunjobi go. And they were especially disappointed to see him go to the Steelers. So this isn't one of those guys that's like, oh, yeah, he's your problem now. Uh, they they liked Ogunjobi. They liked the, his ability to get to the quarterback. Now, again, going back to the PFF thing. He's not a great run defender in that metric. And I, I think that the tape backs that up too. I think he can get a little bit too aggressive and over pursue and, and not contain his lanes. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how the Steelers use him in that regard, because it's just something different than I think what they were ideally hoping for after the loss of Tua. This is not Stefan Tua. This is not a guy, this yeah. is not a two gapping guy that is going to take on blocks push the pile back and, and make plays with both athleticism and strength. I think that he's a little bit one dimensional when it comes uh, when it comes to that part of his game. So Michelle, if you had to predict, where do you think that, where do you think that Larry Ogunjobi is going to fall in line when it comes to snaps among the interior guys? Obviously know that assuming Hayward stays healthy, he's going to be number one in that department. Do you slot him in at number two? Does Chris Wormley still get more snaps? How would you have uh, Larry Ogunjobi compared to the rest? It's so hard to know without knowing about the extent of his foot injury. But last year, 
there was only two interior offensive linemen that played over 300 defensive snaps for the Steelers last year. It was Hayward and it was Wormley. I, I do believe Okadrobi should be playing more snaps than Wormley. Like, I think we need to have him out there. We'll hopefully Miles Jack and Devin Bush can step up in the run game and we don't have to depend on Okadrobi as much. We need him out there a little bit more than Wormley. I, I believe that. So I, I think it should yeah. go Hayward and then Okadrobi and then, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. I agree uh, with you. And then Alulu should, 35 years old, but he should yeah. be getting. He, he needs to be out there. Obviously, he's not going to be able to play. Mm. I don't think he's going to be hitting those 600-plus snaps, but we, hopefully he can hit the 400s, and that would be a huge help for this run defense especially. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think that Ogunjobi is going to finish second on the team in terms of interior defensive snaps. Looking at Chris Wormley's, Chris Wormley's last year, he had 729 in that department. There's no way I don't think that he repeats that with more depth on the team last year. It's got to, you got to remember it was it was Tewitt missing all season long. Alulu missed all but two games last year. And even Carlos Davis, although not a big player, he he probably would have been a role rotational interior defender at the very least last year. And so those are three injuries along the defensive line. Chris Wormley's not getting his 729 defensive snaps this year. Larry Ogunjobi had 724 last year, according to Pro Football Reference. So very similar. I think that nod goes to Ogunjobi. They're just going to like what he offers more. I, I think that Chris Wormley is a maybe a good at everything, but great at nothing type player, if I may. I, I just I think that Larry Ogunjobi offers more in terms of uh, his pass rush ability and is a guy that they're going to want to have on the field way more often in passing downs. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because there are a blend of players that are going to be carving out some roles this year. Uh, DeMarvin Leal might be one of them, the third round rookie from the Steelers. I was actually a big fan of that pick. I, I know I talked with Marcus about that a little bit last week on the show. Uh, and also Isaiah Loudermilk is a guy who, another guy that could be in that rotation. Now, I don't know if necessarily either one of those guys will play that same role that Ogan Joby's playing. I think those are more of the five technique guys and, and Leal, I think they're going to try to make him that five technique. Uh, he's going to be a work in progress. Um, and then I think the other thing that people have to remember too, is I, I think we're putting a little bit too much stock in what Tyson Alulu is at this point in his career. We're talking about a 35 year old player who had a severe foot injury last year that caused him to miss 15 of 17 games. And so we can't expect him to bounce back and be that dominant run defending player that you can play 45, 50% of snaps. I, do you have a number, Michelle, that you would put on Tyson Alulu snaps this year, just in terms of like a percent figure? Would you would you say, would you if I set the over under at thirty five percent? Would you say over under snaps? I'd really like that to be over. I, I really I think it's important for the Steelers yeah. defense if he can hit the four hundred plus snaps. He's not going to get close to the seven hundred. I don't think that would be good for him either. Like I don't want to push him out there and mm -hmm. him wear down as the season goes on, keep his body healthy. I do think there's enough enough depth now on this uh, defensive line to give all of these guys breaks, really, besides Cameron Hayward, who we pretty much need out there consistently and constantly because he's he's uh, just an elite defense lineman. But it's so hard because I do think he's our mm -hmm. best run defender on that defensive line besides Hayward, and you're going to have to utilize him often We'll see how he's doing after that ankle fracture. Hopefully he's doing all right. But like the ankle fracture should be healed 
he is older, so maybe he's taking more time, but I think he should be fine health-wise coming into this year. Yeah, and it, maybe it's one of the situations where the Steelers are just going to have to play it by ear too and see if they can have if they have anybody else besides Hayward and Lulu on that team that they can really count on and run defense, particularly in the middle. And so what's going to be interesting to see is if anybody can steal like the base package, three, four nose tackle snaps away from Lulu. I think that he's going to be the clear cut best option there. I don't mm-hmm. think that Ogunjobi is a fit in, in that role, that zero technique on rundowns really at all. I, I think he's much better as like the three technique penetrating defensive tackle on pass rush or on uh, passing situations. And so I think they might have to, it might be one of those situations where they just have to play by ear and see if there's anybody that can step up to the plate and be a serviceable to good run defender for this team. And if not, then I would certainly hammer the over on that 35% of the snaps as well. And I would, I would put over for a Lulu there. All right, let me throw something else out to you right now. Uh, Larry Ogunjobi had a seven sack season with the Bengals last year, did really well as a pass rusher, graded out really well in that department, not so much in the run game. Uh, so where do you think he hits? I know this is just one factor out of many. Do you think he can top the seven sack mark for the Steelers? We're talking about a team that has however many straight years. We're going on six straight years. This would be the sixth year of 50-plus sacks for the Steelers. So how big of a, a portion does Ogunjobi now factor into that with no, with, excuse me, no to it and taking on some of that responsibility? And we have to assume that this is a good team that's going to be – if not leading the league in sacks again this year, one of the top. So does he, does he top seven sacks this year? He absolutely should, right? If Chris Wormley can hit seven mm-hmm. sacks last year with just 15 quarterback pressures, I think Ogunjobi should easily, I, it, it's hard to hit seven mm-hmm. sacks. I'll give him that no matter what, but he should be around that eight to nine range playing with TJ Watt. Wormley's time to sack last year was 5.6 seconds which is insanely slow. That is so slow. So clearly it's the situation he was in that he was getting these sacks, right? There were, if the play was going long, long, and I'm sure the defense kind of brought the quarterback to Wormley almost, right? Because 5.5 seconds is, or 5.6 seconds is insane. Ogunjobi was not super fast, but at least 4.8. That's a massive difference when it comes to time to sack. So we should see, if Wormley can have seven, I don't I don't see why Ogunjobi wouldn't beat that seven from what he did last year, which he was playing next to a very good mm-hmm. edge rusher as well in Trey Hendrickson. Like Hendrickson, oh, yes. Hendrickson can get to the quarterback as well. So that also helped him out playing for the Bengals. But now you get Watt. The defenses are not going to be focused on Larry Ogunjobi. You should be getting your eight mm-hmm. to nine, possibly more sacks than that as well. Yeah, it was a good point with the Bengals, too, that their defensive line was nothing to scoff at last year with Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader. I mean, they they were pretty good, Uh, but they're not TJ Watt and Cam Hayward level good. And I do it's I'm not going to deny that those Steelers defensive front, they definitely get a little boost. Right. So this is a different example, different positional example. But let's like look at Bud Dupree before he left the Steelers. And I think it was in 2019, he had 11 sacks. I don't think he played like a player who maybe deserved to get that much production that year, but TJ Watt just draws so much attention on that other side that it makes the job easy. And I think that that's kind of what it's going to look like for uh, Larry Ogunjobi as well. He's not going to hit 11 sacks. I'd be surprised if he did that. If I'm just throwing an arbitrary figure out there right now, I would probably say seven and a half to eight sacks, I think is very doable for a guy who is 
primarily going to be a pass rush specialist from the inside. I'm going to call nine if his foot's okay. Nine. And All he's right. not missing games. I'm calling nine, nine sacks right now. I, but the funny thing about Bud Dupree was I was praying they did not re-sign him to a m- massive contract like the Titans did Same. because his quarterback pressure rate was even the year he had 11 sacks was really, really <laughs> below average, not good. And we've seen now he goes to the Titans. He's, you know, kind of the focal point there when, you know, offenses mm-hmm. are like, okay, who do we have to stop as a pass rusher? And when you're not playing next to TJ Watt, things get harder. And Bud Dupree's not so good. And that contract is looking like a big no. loss right now. Yeah, I just actually wrote about that today. Uh, Bleacher Report had an article on Bud Dupree being uh, the sixth biggest uh, – contract waste of money right now essentially and an interesting fact uh some people might not know is Ola Denny who was is a member of the Titans as well last year he had the same statistical production as Watt essentially uh, on over 200 fewer snaps or roughly 200 fewer snaps I'm sorry than Dupree did on the Titans Denny had the, the the same production as Dupree on the Titans and we're talking about a guy that you signed for veteran minimum and when yeah. I watched him play it's hard to decipher the difference between the two, honestly. I mean, you pay a guy 16 and a half million, you want to get a lot more than that. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole right here. Let me ask you one more question about Ogan Joby. Um, and that is, will he be clearly the second best interior defender for the Steelers this year behind Cameron Hayward? Or will it be one of those situations where it's it could go either way, game to game? It's hard to know between Tyson Alulu, Ogan Joby, Chris Wormley. Uh, is he going to establish himself as that second best, like to it was? As the best pass rusher, sure. Um, but as the mm-hmm. overall defender, I still would give that to Lulu. I think he'll be the biggest difference for us this year. Hopefully, you know, we get a surprise in uh, Isaiah Loudermilk in his second season or DeMarvin Leal. Like, I would prefer that Ogunjobi isn't our second best. We kind of know what he is, and it's a solid player. It's going to be okay if he is our second best, but it would be really nice if it wasn't because that means someone else stepped up and really like proved themselves early on in their career, which would be obviously a very big positive for the Steelers' defense. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. And, and I think we're looking at a situation, obviously, yeah, where Cameron Hayward is just multiple tiers ahead of everyone else on the interior defensive line. And then I would probably group Ogunjobi, Chris Wormley, and Tyson Alulu in that next tier together, however far that is down from Cam Hayward, which we know is quite a gap there. I mean, I think we're, in terms of the league, we're looking at Aaron Donald, Cam Hayward, and then kind of everybody else at the moment. He's been that good. So, all right, let's shift gears here now. Uh, if you're a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers and you would like to support the Still Curtain Podcast, please consider subscribing to the Still Curtain Podcast on YouTube. We appreciate your support. Let's talk about Steelers training camp battles. Training camp kicks off in just about a week right now. And I'll be heading down there early August. Yes, I'll get to see that firsthand. Very excited about that. Back in Latrobe this year. It was fun having that little change of pace and going to Heinz Field last year for a few days. Uh, Camp is back in Latrobe at St. Vincent College. We've got some big training camp battles to watch with some massive implications this year. And I'm, I'm not sure if you can go around the league. I don't, I don't know everybody's roster situation as well, the Steelers, but it's, it's hard to argue that some of these battles, they might not be, I mean, they might be the, the biggest battles in the league we're looking at here because it, for one, we're talking about the quarterback situation. 
between Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett. Some would dare to venture even throw Mason Rudolph in there as well. I'm not one of those. But according to Tomlin, according to no. the team, it's a three-way battle. I'm just not buying it. So what? How? what is your view on the quarterback battle heading into training camp? And is there any chance that Kenny Pickett can come away with that starting job from the gate? So I'm in the camp that Mitch Trubisky pretty much has this job locked up unless he is just really, really terrible in the training camp. I, I think this is his job to lose. Now, people aren't going to like my nickname for Kenny Pickett. You're not going to like it. But it's baby hands Sam Darnold. And I am clearly, if you follow me on Twitter, um, you, you know, I'm not the biggest Kenny Pickett fan be prior to the pick. I am hoping with all of my might that I am dead wrong because I want my team to win games and I want Kenny Pickett to be great. So hopefully I'm dead wrong. There's just some, you know, I'm, I'm worried about Kenny Pickett. Like why did it take you five years in college to finally have a good season? Because the other ones were just so incredibly bad. It wasn't like Joe Burrow. It's like Joe Burrow was at least serviceable. It was like Kenny Pickett was real rough until five, five years in. He's 24 years old. You already know about the baby hands. Mitch Trubisky, I have a lot more faith that he can grow into a quarterback that actually is at least above average. Not He's never going to be elite, but above average. And I think it could be more due to a situation why he struggled uh, with the Bears. Because honestly, without Trubisky since 2018, the Bears have been so much worse without him on offense than they were with him. And they won a lot of games with him, 25 and 13 record when he was a starter since 2018, fifth highest win percentage among active quarterbacks since 2018. And they, the Bears averaged 23 points per game with Trubisky as their starting quarterback from 2018 to 2020. Uh, and that's fallen to 18.5 with all other quarterbacks. So he was doing the best he could with Matt Nagy, with the Bears. Mm -hmm. And I, I think when you put him into a much better situation with the Steelers, there is a chance. There is a chance that he can be a much better quarterback than he was with the Bears. Yeah, and I think uh, over the past few years, especially Matt, Day Matt Nagy has just been running that team just right into the ground. And so kudos for them for, for getting new management over there. But I... Uh, <laughs> I don't disagree with your assessment on Pickett. I had a second round grade on Pickett. I believe he was my 48th overall player on my board. Did a lot of game film on him, a lot of research. There are just so many factors that scare me. Like you said, didn't show up until his fifth year in college. The year was good. The fifth year was very good. Uh, yeah. Led Pitt to an ACC championship, 40 plus touchdowns. But you're 23 uh, but years still, old playing against 18 year olds. You're doing, you know? you're doing it you're against five years kids, older. Essentially. Yes, <laughs> yeah. you are. And the age makes a difference. And I know that people want to just brush off the hand size. Like it's nothing at all. It is something that concerns me. It, it might not be a factor. We'll have to wait and see if it is, but we're, we got to remember too. Another factor is that with the exception of last season, every other time that Kenny Pickett has played football, the season is ending in like late November. The Steelers are going to be playing into January every single year. 17-game NFL schedule that goes later into the season. We're talking about bitter cold weather in Pittsburgh. How is that going to affect him? He's going to be a quarterback who always has to play with those gloves. Those gloves are never coming off when you've got eight and a quarter inch hands. So, I mean, I've got nine and a quarter inch hands. I'm five foot 11. So, it's just, I just to put it in perspective. I have eight inch hands. So, so I, I don't 
I he is slightly larger than my hands, and I don't have large hands for a lady. Like it's they're normal size yes. hands. I can throw a football, but it's because I grew up throwing a fo- football, and it's not. I mean, it's a large. The mm-hmm. NFL ball is very large. It's, it's just, bigger in diameter around as well than the college football. And I don't yeah. want to just harp on one little factor here, but I I do think it's something that. It must be considered. He's going to have to play in gloves, uh, rain, sleet, or snow. It's it's gloves for Kenny Pickett, and like we just said, it's just it's multiple things. I don't I don't think that he has a particularly strong arm. I think the arm talent is very average. I think what could be Pickett's saving grace is that he is a plus athlete. He I don't I don't think that he plays like the ninety fifth percentile athlete that he tested as according to his relative athletic score. I do think that he plays like a good athlete, one that can escape the pocket, keep his eyes down the field and makes plays. And so if he is not as timid in, as Trubisky in that regard, I feel like the upside could be better overall. But he has to be a, a dare I say, a Romo-type player who can just routinely feel the pressure, escape the pocket, keep his eyes down the field and make plays. I'm not high on either one of these guys. And I don't know that anybody should be at this point unless they give us reason to here in the near future. I think we're looking at it. And fortunately, the way we have to look at it is, I don't know if there's a scenario where Trubisky keeps his job after this year, unless it is really good because they drafted Pickett to be the quarterback of the future. And I'm not trying to, to, to root against Trubisky at all. I want him to play great. I want the Steelers to win. There's literally no reason to root for the Steelers to tank at this point. They've already drafted the quarterback. They're not going to do it again for at least several years. And so tanking does nothing at this point, unless you're, you're trying to get a left tackle and trade up at that point, if that's what you really want. So I want Trubisky to do really well. I just think that throughout his career, he's been a little bit timid in the passing game, doesn't make a lot of big plays down the field. I think you're looking at more of the game manager type, but one that potentially could be an upgrade over a 39-year-old Ben Roethlisberger that we saw last season who just didn't have anything left in that arm anymore and could not escape the pocket. I think that's part of, we pointed the offensive line and the offensive line was not good, but that's part of the reason why Ben had to get the ball out so fast too. It just couldn't make it down the field. It, that, that ball, he was, he was the worst quarterback in the league. I believe when he's passing beyond 10 yards, it was just, it just got ugly beyond that point. And so I do think that whoever wins this battle, I think that they have certainly had the potential to look better than Ben did last year. And I agree with you. I, I don't, see any reason to think that that person is going to be Kenny Pickett at this point, perhaps midway through the season, Pickett is struggling. I mean, the Steelers have a tough schedule to begin the year. They play the Bengals on the road, I believe, and then they play the Patriots and the Browns the following two games. So some big AFC games. We'll see what, what Trubisky comes away with at that point. But I agree with you. I think that it has to be Trubisky from the gate for the Steelers. Uh, and I, I think unless something dramatic happens, like if, if Pickett just looks like just astronomically better at training camp, then I think that maybe there's a chance that he can win the job. The problem, though, and this is what I talked about with Marcus last week, is once you give Pickett that job, you can't go back, right? You can't go and say, ah, you played bad for a few games. We're going to go back to our, our veteran quarterback and we're going to sit you back on the bench. I just feel like that's just such a confidence destroyer when you do that to a young quarterback that you want to make sure he's ready before you feed him to the wolves. 
Yeah, and we even saw it somehow Justin Herbert didn't beat out Tyrod Taylor in training camp. It's like mm-hmm. he clearly had him oh, showing yeah. he was. And it's just yeah. these coaches are very stubborn. That's why I think like Trubisky mm-hmm. has his job locked for week one. We saw Josh Allen not even beat out Nathan yes. Peterman uh, his rookie <laughs> season, which is wild. And like you said, Trubisky should easily be able to play better than Ben Roethlisberger did last year, right? Yards yeah. per play for the Steelers, 4.8, 28th in the NFL, Mm -hmm. big plays per game, 29th in the NFL. Trubisky is, he's a mobile guy. Like he'll be able to open things up. Hopefully we can use more play action. Matt, hopefully he fits Matt Canada's system better. So even if the offensive line isn't a massive upgrade, if you can move some pieces around and not stand so still, uh, and hopefully Trubisky's not as scared. I don't know. Ben was like really scared to get touched there at the end where he was just throwing it instantly, even when he didn't have to. The mm. offense should look better. Like they just really should, no matter who the starting quarterback is. Theoretically, yes, yes, and I would I would hope so as well. And I would agree with that as well. I mean, it's it's the youngest offense in the league on paper. You would have to assume that's going to get a little bit better in that department. That maybe even the protection with James Daniels. I, I'm not crazy about Mason Cole, but I like James Daniels a lot. Should be better for Trubisky than it was for Ben last year. These guys are developing. But I mean, sometimes it's not even a matter of who is the best player. Like there's a situation where they could play out where Pickett looks like the better player in camp and it's still Trubisky's job just because Mm -hmm. they don't want to, they don't want to throw him out there right away. They don't want to ruin his career by making him play too early if they don't feel that he's ready. And so I think it's a pretty good bet that Trubisky is going to open the season as a starting quarterback. Maybe he'll have it all year long if the Steelers are competitive, if they're not. I feel like Trubisky is ready. Maybe sometime midway through the season, we could be looking at the the first Kenny Pickett appearance. All right, and let's like talk I said, about. I hope him. he's great. I don't want people to come out. Oh yes. you're rooting against Kenny Pickett. I hope he's Certainly fantastic not. and he proves me wrong. I just didn't love him as a prospect, yeah. but who knows? Who oh, knows? I Maybe agree. he is himself from last year. And I've gone on record saying I hope that I will never be so wrong about a player before. I really do. I want the Steelers to be right in this sense. I, I I don't care about my ego right now. This nothing is bigger than the quarterback position. So when the Steelers they they made that investment, they drafted Kenny Pickett. I have no reason to root against him for now. I think he's a very likable guy. I want him to succeed, and so I'm I'm pulling for him. I'm hoping I'm hoping that he can be that guy for the Steelers. All right, the next big training camp battle that we're going to talk about is Chase Claypool against George Pickens at the wide receiver position. Two guys that play probably pretty similar role. I think they both project as the Z receiver for the Steelers. Both big guys, big targets, big catch radius, the likes. And so where do you think, where do you have this playing out? Is is Claypool going to bounce back from a kind of a sloppy second season after a very impressive rookie campaign? And can Pickens, a guy that's 21 years old and pretty raw, played 12 games over the last two seasons, can he do enough to push uh, Chase Claypool for starter snaps in that role? Yeah, I am a little bit worried about Chase Claypool. His rookie season, he looked great. Like, I was really surprised by him. Mm-hmm. I, I I was kind of in the middle there with him as a prospect. I was not really on either side. But then as a rookie, I was like, wow, this dude is like, he looked kind of like DK Metcalf light. And I was like, okay, I love this. And then the second season, he just really disappointed me. I don't know if it was just all in his head or whatnot. Yes. Ben Roethlisberger didn't give him the best throws in the world, but he also didn't come down with a lot of catches that he should have. 
he did have 16 contested catches last year, which was tied for six most in the NFL, but I still just didn't feel like all of them were that hard. Like some of them you needed to come down with. We know he had that boneheaded mistake at the end of the game there where he's showboating. He needs to get back on track because George Pickens, I think, is a very solid wide receiver, and he does he he could very easily steal Chase Claypool's job if you know he can come back fully healthy from that injury. So I, I think it will be a close battle. I think at the end of it, Chase Claypool will still get the majority of the snaps uh, over George Pickens. However, I just I don't really love the fit with Mitch Trubisky. It was kind of like the giant signing Kenny Galladay to play with Daniel Jones. It was like, do you really want Daniel Jones trying to get it into little clothes, tight coverage? Like not really. And that's why it didn't work out. You're going to kind of have to do that same thing with Claypool. I think Pickens is a bit better separator. We'll see what happens there. I I like Pickens better as an overall talent, but Claypool has the veteran status. So he likely gets more snaps. Yeah, I agree with you there as well. I think that Pickens is a better prospect coming out of school. I had him as my 37th overall player on my big board. Uh, Claypool was good as a rookie, took a big step back last year, just the consistency, efficiency, any way you want to slice it. And we can talk about Ben's target quality. That definitely plays a factor as well, especially when your targets are coming down the field. And so when Claypool is having to fight back through traffic to to come back to a, a ball that's three, four yards underthrown, it's just, it's not easy to do. But I think it's pretty safe to say that if Claypool has another season like he did last year, Pickens is going to overtake him. I would have to assume we, this is before we watch Pickens at training camp, obviously, but just knowing the natural football player that he was at Georgia and just his ability to, to contort his body, pluck the ball out of the air. If, if Claypool plays like he did last year, I think that job is going to go to Pickens at some point. So and another interesting thing is, and what are your thoughts on this? But I've said it from the beginning. Like I, I watch Claypool in these catch and run situations. I think that he's almost better utilized as that big slot. And Steelers are just so reluctant to put him there, it seems like. But you get the guy in space, let him long stride past some linebackers, break a tackle, and and just shoot down the sideline. I think he's better at that because he's not a particularly natural football player. But he is physical and he is very athletic. And so uh, do you think that that's something the Steelers should explore this year? I would love to move Claypool into the inside in the slot. I, I think he would really perform well there. Um, and they kind of are in need of a slot receiver. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about that a little bit later with some guys. But I, I think having Deontay and then getting Pickens, a, a lot of experience on the outside, especially if Deontay Johnson leaves next offseason, getting Pickens those reps would be huge. And then playing Claypool more in the slot, obviously not every snap, he'll still get his outside snaps as well. But I I do think that would be very successful for him and his play style. I I hope they get creative in that way. And they don't just like, I think moving around every, all of these guys would be successful. Uh, Pickens doesn't have a lot of experience playing out of slot in college, but I, I think it's, the best offenses don't just stick with their guys playing just on the left side, just on the right side, just in the slot, like move them mm-hmm. around and make defenses like have to adjust. Yeah, I agree with that. That's I'm, I'm really interested to see who is going to fill that role last year or, or this year that for last season, I don't know what it was. And, and I, I don't, I don't think that James Washington is a great player. I did expect him to play more than what he did. And they've been relied on Ray McLeod. And maybe it was a Ben preference that he liked just the, 
the quicker twitch guy that he, they could be in 11 personnel and put him in the slot. I do not think there was anything special about McLeod's game at all. Oh my goodness. Every time, study. every time Ben targeted Ray Ray McLeod, my soul just died. I'm like, stop. Yes. Stop. Yes, I know. Like there's sometimes he came up with a nice play, but it was just like, really, mm. this is the play. This it it kind of seemed like, it kind of seemed like dumping the ball down to like a running back, like a scat back yeah. or something. Didn't it? Like, that's what it felt like. And so I'm really hoping we can have a big improvement in that formation this year and that 11 personnel and getting a guy that can dominate from the slot. I don't know if that's going to be Claypool or not, but I would certainly try him out there. I think, I think what's probably going to happen is I, I think you're looking at Deontay Johnson and Claypool as your starting receivers in, in 12 personnel. And then in 11 personnel, will it be Claypool in the slot? Will it be Calvin Austin? It'll be interesting to see if, if Calvin Austin is ready for a role like that. And so I don't know what they'll do. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the biggest proponent of, of, kicking Deontay Johnson inside. I just feel like he wins so well at that X position. He gets open off of press. And so I'd prefer to keep him there. Uh, We'll see what happens there, but that'll be interesting. Yeah. Next one on the list. Let's let's talk about, uh, we'll, we'll get back to Calvin and Austin in just a second. Let's talk about some receivers closer to the bottom of the roster here in miles Boykin and Anthony Miller not room for both of these guys on the roster. And if we're looking at last year and when Stewart's keep five receivers, there might not be room for either of them, but I would have to assume that one makes it, they keep an extra receiver spot this year. Miles Boykin, the big physical receiver, not necessarily a natural football player, doesn't play up to his elite testing numbers. I don't feel that he had coming out of college, but a guy that you can use as a gunner and they can get down the field and then Anthony Miller, a very different type, the smaller type receiver. I really liked him coming out of Memphis, uh, but he was an older player, had a Liz Frank injury, just did not live up to lofty expectations. Who do you think is more valuable to the Steelers if you can only keep one, which is, is likely to happen, it seems like, and which one is that going to be? I think the more important one would be Anthony Miller because he gives you another option as a slot wide receiver, which you don't have in Boykin and you already have those tall, strong dudes. Like you don't need another one really. Like where is he going to fit in with Anthony Miller? He already has the experience playing with Mitch Trubisky. He was the second round talent in 2018. All three of his hundred receiving yard games in his career have come with Mitch Trubisky and Trubisky targeted the slot on 35% of his pass attempts from 2018 to 2020, which was the fourth highest rate in the NFL. So clearly that's one of his favorite spots to target. I like, I don't think Anthony Miller is going to be starting or getting a ton of snaps, but if one of these guys goes down and you need to plug someone in to play the slot, I, I think you already have that connection there with Trubisky. I just think he's much more valuable than keeping Miles Boykin. Yeah, Michelle, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on this one. I agree. I, like that, I agree that having that that extra slot player is going to be very valuable, especially if Calvin Austin is not ready to go, and we'll see if he shows that in training camp or not. What I think you're losing if Miles Boykin doesn't make the team. This is a guy who's claimed off of waivers. If he doesn't make the team, I think he's a very sound special teams player and, and a very good gunner. So who does that gunner then become? I don't. I think that Chase Claypool. He's already established in that role. He's not going to go probably back to doing that. I don't know if the Steelers want him to do that. Same with George Pickens. I think that those are two guys. I don't know if you necessarily want to risk injury that way. Now you can probably find it at a different position, keeping extra running back, which I'm not a fan of, but that's a whole different story. 
Uh, but you, you can find somebody to, to perhaps do that. But it's hard to find a guy that is six foot four that runs a four four that can get down the field that fast and to be pretty good at what he does and also give you some depth as an outside receiver as well if someone goes down. So oh, if we're playing Boykin, though, if he's you're, out, you're there, in trouble. Out, we're, we're yeah. in so much trouble. You could throw anybody yep. out there and he's going to do what he can do. That's true. Now, That's true. special teams is a good point. I do tend to just like be like, man, I'm a fantasy girl, you know, like fantasy analyst. So I'm like, yes, always yes. offense, offense, offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I get you there. I, I'm with I you don't there. necessarily it's- disagree with you, but I, I, I do kind of like in Boykin. Uh, Boykins to uh, like a poor man's Darius Hayward Bay, who, who filled that niche for the Steelers. And if you're uh, a just, poor man's Darius Hayward Bay, then you're not a player that you want really, playing offense very often. No, that's no, like, you're not. That's the saddest description I've heard about a player, I, I think, in a long time. Yeah, and Anthony Miller, he can double as a punt returner if they need him in that. It, so here's another one, too, is Gunnar Olszewski. Where does he fit in with these three guys? I know. Is there a chance that he's the odd man out and they keep the other two? I just... I think that those three players are so tight at the bottom of the receiver pecking order. It's, it's going to be hard to see. It might come down to who has a better preseason training camp. So I don't, I just don't know what to do with them. Like I would, I would think that Oshevsky would be a front runner over the other two because he, this is, we're talking about a former all pro return man who can, he can help them both kick and punt return. And so it's just going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I think he's the least natural receiver of the three. He's got nine career receptions. And so I, I do agree with you that uh, in ter- if we're just looking at offensive value to the team, then Anthony Miller is, is the best option, no doubt. It just depends on what do the Steelers need. Do they do they need that extra gunner? Do they need a guy that, that gives them an, an, an added spark uh, in the return game with Olszewski? And, and we'll see how that plays out. So I'm, I'm very interested in that one. All right, let's go back to Calvin Austin for a minute. I. Uh, this is a guy that I really liked coming out of school. I think I had him, I want to say like 83rd overall on my board. The Steelers got him 138. I got to be honest. I don't know what some of these teams were doing. They were picking wide receivers before the, the compensatory third round when the Steelers snagged Calvin Austin, stole him, I'm hoping. But, I mean, we're, we, we saw we saw this 25-year-old return man in Vellis Jones <laughs> go earlier than Calvin Austin. Calvin Austin is a much more natural football player, a much better college player and a better athlete. And, and so that size really makes a big factor. When you're coming under five foot eight, the success stories are few and far between. You got to hope that he can be that dominating slot option who can help in the return game. But how do you view Calvin Austin? Do you think that he's a guy that's going to be ready to play during his rookie season? And what will his impact be this year? I really hope he is. I hope they give him a shot. I hope they put him into the rotation, especially in the in the slot right there. He was one of just four players with 2,000-plus receiving yards and 18-plus receiving touchdowns over the last yes. two college seasons. The other guys were Jordan Addison from Pittsburgh, who's expected to be an early first-round pick next year, Jahan mm-hmm. Dotson, who was a mid-first-round pick this year, and then Romeo Dubs, who was a fourth-round pick as well with the Packers, but he's not nearly as fast or as as athletic as Mm -hmm. Calvin Austin. So two totally different players. Austin ran a 4-3-2, 39-inch for an 11-3 broad jump. It's insane. And that's something the Steelers desperately need in their offense, that quickness, that athleticism to open up the offense if he's utilized correctly. Now, I don't expect him to get, you know, 100-plus targets or even – 
80 plus targets, but he should be on the field running routes, going deep to open up the offense because I think his quickness can make that difference. I think he can be a, a Mars Hollywood Brown type uh, sooner or, or later. I really love his talent, and I hope he can get on the field this year um, and they maybe utilize him in the return game as well because I think his potential as a returner is much higher than Gunner's. He's been fine. He's been a solid NFL player, but if he hits, he hits. And uh, I really love Calvin Austin. Yeah. I'm really excited for that pick as well. I just, I'm trying to temper my own expectations because I love the prospect so much. I loved his tape. This is not a gadget player. This is a natural receiver who can run routes, snag the ball out of the air with his hands. What worries me though, is just being so small compared to, other receivers. I don't think that he's a guy that they're going to be able to play on the outside. And I know that there might be some disagreement there. I just, the success stories of, of stories of guys that are that small playing on the outside is just so rare. And I, th I think that he's a guy that unfortunately may have to be pigeonholed to the slot, but he could still have a really good career from there. Like maybe yeah. he can be a Cole Beasley type receiver that offers even more explosion and return value. Like that's high end. And we're thinking we're talking about a good player there. But he is very tiny. I don't know what he can offer. Do you think that he can have even just like, let's say, a Ray Ray McLeod type role this year for the Steelers? Or do you think that that's even asking too much of him as a almost a fourth round rookie, late third round rookie? I think he should. And hopefully it's a better yeah. role than Ray Ray McLeod because I just want the offense to be more opened up, right? Like I hope he's targeted deeper. I hope it's not all just yeah. short type uh, receptions. I, he'll have a harder time getting on the field. You know, the Steelers don't run a lot of four plus wide receiver sets. That just does not happen. But in terms of three wide receivers on the field, they did that in 826 plays last year, which was second most in the NFL behind only the Rams. So if they're yeah. they're bringing in or rotating Pickens and Claypool and uh, Austin, I think that'd be perfect. Like get like get them all their snaps in um, while Deontay Johnson dominates the targets and the snaps. Deontay Johnson should clearly be the wide receiver one. I think he's going to have an amazing season. I wish they would just pay him. I listened to your last episode. You guys already talked about this. Um, I'm on the, I'm on the train that they should, they should give him his 22 to $25 million a year. I know many people mm. are not though. Yep, that was a uh, that was a big topic of discussion and get a lot of pushback with that. But I agree with you there. I think that you I mean, you get the rookie quarterback, you've got to pay your top receiver. You don't you don't want to give him any reason to fail at all. And I think by not paying Johnson, I, I think that that's what the Steelers will be setting themselves up for. All right, let's switch from the receiver position. Let's talk about the offensive line a little bit right now. Uh, not a lot of competition on the offensive line to go around. It's, it looks like Dan Moore is going to be the left tackle for the second straight year. I'm hoping to have an improved year over his rookie season. Steelers signed Chokuma of Corfort to a relatively big deal to stick around as the right tackle. Still pretty young, but now entering year five, we'll see what they can get out of him. Uh, the Steelers made two big signings this offseason. Big signings. They, average signings. I don't know. I, I like the James Daniels signings. Like I pointed out earlier, I think that James Daniels is a, is a really solid football player. Uh, he's probably going to end up being the leader and the voice of that offensive line. Um, he's going to slot in at right guard. It looks like, and Mason Cole, um, it looks like he's already pigeonholed in the starter at center because that's how good Kendrick green was or third round pick <laughs> yeah. last year that you can make that determination. So 
it looks like the only battle along the offensive line in terms of what these guys are saying for themselves and where the Steelers currently have them slotted uh, in terms of the position that are playing would be Kevin Dotson versus Kendrick Green at left guard. How do you view that competition and who do you think comes away with that? I think it's easily Kevin Dotson in his second yeah. season. He, he did fall down from his amazing, like really surprising rookie season where we're like, he came out of nowhere and we were shocked by his performance, but he was still very good. Well, very good compared to the rest of the Steelers offensive line. I should say not compared to the rest of the NFL, but he was like, it's, it's hard to um, look at these offensive linemen and not go off PP, PFF. Cause they're the one, like kind of the one site that has this information, mm. but he graded the highest among the Steelers offensive line last year, allowed 10 pressures on 353 pass block snaps. Um, just he performed nicely. There's no reason to take him out of that role while green as a rookie graded out absolutely terrible in both pass block run block snaps. Uh, it was 29th among 33 centers with 500 plus offensive snaps and pass blocking grade. Uh, so I, I don't see a reason why you just think he's going to all, all like, all of a sudden become better at the guard position coming out of school. He was supposed to be better as a center than a guard. Like that was his better fit. So I don't think moving him to guards is going to help him out. Now. I don't necessarily think Mason Cole's the answer at center either. I'm not like pumped mm. about that, uh, <laughs> about that change. What do you think's going on with JC Treader? Why is he still a free agent? Why aren't the Steelers looking at him? That's a good question. And, and that's money that I wish that we could take back from Mason Cole and say, hey, sorry, yeah. <laughs> JC Treader is still out there. Like hindsight being what it is, it makes me wonder, would they have gone after a bigger name like that and a better football player? Like I don't, I don't think anybody would argue that JC Treader is not top 10 at his position. So I don't know. I that's, that's a good question. I don't know why he's out there. He's a little bit older than Cole. I think he might be four years older. That doesn't worry me too much anyway. I think you're either way, you're looking at a stopgap player. Like you said, I don't think that Mason Cole is a long-term answer at center for the Steelers. I'm just hoping for a guy that is serviceable and not going to do what Green did last year, which is just let him right through and get completely blown up. So, and when it comes to that argument, again, we're going back to uh, Kevin Dotson versus Kendrick Green. I, I can't see any way that Green comes away with that. I really can't because we have seen really good play from Dotson. We've seen several games stretch in, during his rookie year uh, in, in his first NFL action where he was just very good and, and just mauling people, blowing them out of the way. And in pass protection, I think I believe he graded out as the, the best pass protecting guard that year. And so we have seen good play from Dotson. We have not seen it from Kendrick Green. And if we have, it's been very few and far between. I, I agree with you on the positional change stuff. Some people are excited about that. I am not. I think that Kendrick Green, I said it, the moment he was drafted, this is a guy that has to play center. He has to play center in the NFL. There are just not very many success stories when you have guys that are as short as he is, six foot one and seven eights. That puts him in the first percentile among NFL guards. And his overall size collectively, everything, everything you measure is in the 10th percentile under using mock draftables measurements from the combine. 10th percentile or under in everything. So he's extremely undersized, doesn't have length, he, he doesn't have the, the girth to him to just hold up at that position. I feel like you need to be much stronger as a guard than you do as a center. And so if he's not making the cut at center, I don't know. I don't know what's the, the, the plan here for him. Like I'm, I'm hoping at this point, even though he's a third round pick, I'm hoping that he can kind of salvage his career and be that BJ Finney type for the Steelers who can fill in any interior spot in a pinch. But 
it's just hard to have a lot of hope for him after just watching him get walked all over last season. And sometimes just third round picks don't hit, right? Like that happens yeah. quite often. And I, I just think maybe he's one of them. Maybe he, he'll it, be a backup. And if we need him to come in at center, I don't that big of a difference between Mason Cole and Kendrick Green. I really, I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. Like I said, I'm not excited about Mason Cole starting at all. I really wish the Steelers thought about taking Tyler Linderbaum in the first round instead of mm-hmm. going with like if you had if you're going to start Mr. Trubisky this year anyways, I would have much rather gone with that way. Make like grab an amazing center who I think is going to have yes. a very nice career, and then and look at quarterback Negger. It didn't happen. I am worried about the center position. That's the one spot that I'm like, oh, okay. Hopefully Mason Cole can hold it down for this year a new next year but i i see no way that kendrick green wins this guard starting yeah i agree with you there and going back to that center one more time i was irritated to say the least when the steelers passed on creed humphrey twice last year in the draft i thought he was a, a very very good center prospect he had the size the movement skills tested as 100th percentile athlete at his position dominated at the senior bowl just every checked every box you wanted with the exception of him being a left-handed center other than that, I mean, that was the biggest knock that I could find against Creed Humphrey. I had him high on my board. I had him in my early 20s, and the Steelers passed on him not once, but twice last year. I'm not disappointed with the Friermuth pick. Running backs in the first round, that's a, a different topic of discussion for me. Uh, but then again, in the third round, I was I was a Quinn Miners fan, and we're talking about a big, athletic, strong, bruising guy who had, again, a very impressive senior bowl the Steelers passed on him, seemed like a just a no-brainer decision to me to take a guy who needed a position change from guard to center going into the NFL, a guy that was raw and underclassman and undersized. And so that experiment just has not been working out for him so far. I hope that changes soon. Uh, we'll see, and I agree with you. I don't think the difference between Mason Cole and Kendrick Green is all that significant. And so if one gets injured, and if we're having an injury not across the offensive line, that's where I would choose it to be yeah. from the center position because the gap is not that big there. Uh, but we'll have to hope to just, he can step up his game. And, but like I said, yeah, I agree with you. Dotson's going to be the guy that wins that spot. I'd be shocked if he didn't. All right, let's shift gears. Let's look at cornerback a little bit. This one's kind of, you can almost argue a three-way race between Akello Witherspoon, who was re-signed by the Steelers this offseason, Cameron Sutton, who's the veteran there, and then newcomer Levi Wallace, who was a starter for the Buffalo Bills last season how do you see the cornerback race playing out here in pittsburgh uh and and let's talk about like base who are the two who are the two outside guys in base and who who, in nickel which is what the steelers are going to run primarily three cornerbacks on the field uh i'm sure it's probably something that becomes that slot guy right so how do you see that playing out well that's what i i really hope happens is that well, A, we need them all to step up and we need them all to stay healthy because Agreed. it's not a very deep position group. But I would love Witherspoon and Wallace to win the outside jobs, bring Sutton back in as a slot corner where I, I think he's a much better player overall. I, I'm happy with this group if they all perform as to where they can. I'm not even saying they have to like beat expectations, just like don't go below expectations and then you have to stay healthy. And I am really fine with this group. I think Akello Witherspoon is a, a great re-signing for them. He played really solid at the end of the year. He played really solid for the 49ers, too, The in 2020. Mm-hmm. Played okay in 2019. 
when you're going all the way back to 2019, there's a thing called Hawk rate for next gen stat. It's just the percentage yeah. of targets where the nearest defender made a play on the football pass defense or interceptions. Uh, he's fourth in that rate uh, of guys with minimum of hundred targets, but the guys above him, Trayvon Diggs, Xavier Howard, Sidney Jones, the guy right after him, JC Jackson. So this top five is really nice. And he's up there. I think he's a pretty solid corner in terms of completion percentage allowed in coverage. 48.2% since 2019, which is second highest uh, among the same group of corners with minimum 100 targets since 2019. Like, I, I think he could mm -hmm. be a really solid cornerback. And Levi Wallace, he has the experience. He has the experience over the last three seasons playing on the outside with the Bills on a team that had a really good offense over the last two years. So opponents were throwing pretty much nonstop mm -hmm. on them, either trying to keep up or come back. So I love that he has that experience. He's a solid corner. Witherspoon, we need to step up and be the top man, the big dog there, put Sutton in the slot. And I think this is a solid group if that all happens. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that uh, Witherspoon needs to be that number one guy for the Steelers. And I think that he's developing into that. I, I mean, late in the season, I really thought that he was playing particularly well. And just in terms of his ability to lock down, he's not a great run defender, but I don't care when it comes to it. I'd rather have at least one corner that can take that side of the field away. And that's essentially what he did. I mean, teams, teams didn't want to throw his direction because in a, not resulting in, in, in very good uh, outcome there. And so I, I think that Witherspoon is a perfect example of that guy, that developmental traits based cornerback that you draft and hope that can turn into a quality starting outside player someday. And I think that that's what they wanted uh, Justin Lane to be. And Justin Lane has certainly not become that guy. And so they made up for it a little bit uh, with the Akella Witherspoon trade in, and I know people questioned the trade at the time. I don't think there should be any questioning it now because not only were they able to trade from him and get a very good play from him late in the season, they were also able to retain him on a, a two-year deal for good money. And so uh, and when I say good money, I mean good towards the Steelers, like relatively cheap. And so he's not costing them much, but yet has the upside to be a, a cornerback one in the NFL. I think he's, he's that talented from a, a physical uh, aspect. And so he needs to be that that starting cornerback um, that takes over that Joe Hayden role for them. Um, he's probably going to be that left corner. Levi Wallace is going to slot in there. I agree with you. I think that that Wallace is going to be probably your starting uh, outside corner opposite of him. I wasn't crazy about the Wallace signing. I think it, it was I think it was an average signing, but I think it was a necessary one mm -hmm. because you get a guy another physical corner that fits the Steelers scheme very well. And they certainly needed the depth. Like if they didn't have Wallace right now and they wouldn't have drafted anybody, who do they have outside of Witherspoon and Sutton? Like who do you trust? It's just so hard. And so I, I agree with that. I think that that uh, if I had to if I had to label what Levi Wallace would be for the Steelers, I think he's probably going to be a low end cornerback two, high end cornerback three type player that'll play that right cornerback position. And I think that Sutton is going to go back in the slots in any sort of sub package for the Steelers. And that's where he belongs. That's where he's been best. Yeah. Um, all, all of his good play essentially has come from uh, Nickel or Dime being the guy that's inside there in those sub packages. And so uh, I think that the Steelers overall, I mean, if we, if we really want to like break it down and look at two other teams' cornerback rooms, I would say that they're below average still is how I, I would classify them with maybe the upside to be slightly above average, depending on how 
uh, Witherspoon plays and if he can continue to play at the level we saw late in the season. But I don't love the depth. Like, it, and here's the other question: Is what happens if Witherspoon goes down? Like, what is what is your uh, what does your sub package look like then? If we're talking about nickel formation, who are your three cornerbacks? Who's the guy that steps in? Yeah, there's so there's no depth at all when it comes to this group. They really and, and like you said, if they're above average or below average as a group, it's going to come down to with a spoon does he hit his potential mm. or does he not really or is, does he just disappoint and so much hangs on him improving as an overall player and being consistent for we haven't seen him do it all season long right we've seen really good um streaks and a, a few good sample size where he's done it but we haven't seen it for a whole season yet so that's that is worrisome and we are i mean the, the depth behind him it, it gets brutal and it's oh yeah it's a big concern there because there is a good chance one of these guys has to miss a game or two like it, it happens yeah and and there's no guarantee that witherspoon turns out like i thought we saw a, a really solid like i think it was like a six game stretch right at the end of the season from him but it needs to be bigger than that he needs to show that he can do it a full season he was inactive a lot for the steelers last year and so witherspoon staying healthy and being as good as is what he was late in the season for the steelers that's going to be key this year, but man, that depth is scary outside of those three guys. Like if somebody goes hurt, I was not a fan of Arthur Mallette last year. I know the guy is physical. I think, I thought he was pretty awful in coverage. So he's a guy that you can just beat up and pick on routinely. And so I, I prefer to have him not see the field if he makes the team this year. And so I, uh, between him, he's, he's more of the, the sub package guy. And then uh, James Pierre and Justin Lane, I just don't trust anything between those three guys at all. And so there needs either needs to be like a big surprise at a training camp or somebody needs to take a big step forward. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know what year it's going to come when the Steelers look again to reinvest heavily in the cornerback position, but it hasn't been since Artie Burns really, right? Was that the last time the Steelers made a big investment in cornerback? And so they've got to do it again at some point, I would think. Yeah, you would think. I mean, they haven't been great at drafting corners. I I loved when they got Joe Hayden a while back. Sad that he's, you know, aged now and still not with the team. Yes. I guess there's still a little tiny, tiny sliver of hope he can come back, even though his play went way down last year. But maybe mm. there is a prize cut in training camp on another team where the Steelers can bring in a guy for more for more depth because this is I mean, they're they're playing it really risky here. And that's a lot of their their groups. It's like, okay, their starters look solid, but when a guy goes down, it's there's not much depth. Besides maybe like wide receiver, um, defensive line kind of, but they're playing it. They're, they're yeah. risky here. And, and that's a position I would expect them to be active in the waiver wire as well once we start making those cuts because other teams are much deeper at the cornerback position than Steelers are. Is it is it anything to them to – bring in a guy who looked really good in, in training camp and preseason for another team and cut a player like Arthur Mallette or James Pierre or Justin Lane. I think that that's very doable. And so I wouldn't be shocked if we saw something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah I just, it, the overall outlook of the cornerback situation is not great. And I know that we're go, going back to like the investment thing again, Stewart's have been good when it comes to finding cornerbacks in free agency. They, they were with Joe Hayden and Steven Nelson, Mike Hilton, a guy that, that had his start really with the Steelers, which in Jacksonville a little bit, but they've been good in that aspect of it, drafting not so much. 
I think there's a couple factors that come into consideration here, though, and everybody just wants to say, well, let's not do it anymore because we've missed on our last couple of picks. That's true. But our last couple of picks, I mean, we're talking about first rounders. you got to go back to 1997 was the last time the Steelers invested more than two first round picks in that entire span in a cornerback. And so you're investing in it and you're, and you're missing in it, but you're you're not investing enough and you're investing in the wrong players. Like no part of me wanted Artie Burns in 2016. I had a third round grade on him. And so it's hard to trust the Steelers when it comes to the cornerback position. Same with Senquist Golson as a second rounder in 2015. They there's been options there. I do think that it's time that in just such a pass heavy league, every team needs like four good cornerbacks. They're going to have to invest in it sooner or later. I know that's a different topic, but uh, that that's one that it, it certainly is. Uh, it's something on the radar, and I think it it could be. I mean, who knows? It, depending on how these cornerbacks play this year, perhaps a cornerback is in contention to be the Steelers' first round pick next year. It, it all depends how it goes. All right, let's talk about one more position, one more positional battle upcoming in training camp here before we close out, and that is uh, the battle of strong safety between Terrell Edmonds and Demonte KZ. A few years back, KZ had a seven-interception season for the Atlanta Falcons, and he, he played solid for the Dallas Cowboys. Is this a guy that you think could overtake Edmonds in that safety room, or do you think this is a guy that's that's going to be uh, have a very limited role and probably just see the field maybe in sub packages and special teams? Yeah, I think this is easily Edmonds' job. I don't think this is a true competition. It is nice that he's there to compete against Edmonds to push mm-hmm. Edmonds, uh, but I, I think this is Edmonds' starting job, and uh, we'll we'll see what uh, Casey's role is. Uh, did I say that last name right, Kazi Casey? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, yep. we'll see how, how many snaps you can get and what his role can be, or maybe just a depth piece there. But Edmonds, this is the thing with Edmonds. I am not a big fan of him either. I, I know Steelers fans were disappointed, right? He was a first round pick. You expect more in the first two seasons were brutal, but the last two seasons he's been fine. He's been extremely serviceable mm. and average safety. And when you have Minka making the big plays, I think that's fine to have Edmonds, uh, next to him on the other side, like being just average, maybe even slightly above average. He's been pretty good over the last two years, 14 passes defense compared to his first two years, seven. He's had four interceptions the last two years compared to his first years. One, his passer rating has got allowed, has gone way down uh, from 105 to 84. And his coverage grade for PFF has gone all the way up to 80.3 over the last two years, which is among the top 10 highest among safeties since 2020. Uh, so like he's, he's been all right. He really has. I just think we can't get the first two years out of our brain. And then even the last mm-hmm. two years, it's not good enough as first round potential, like that first round pick you want better, but I think he's more than serviceable. I'm happy. For yeah. Him to be back. I agree with you completely on your assessment of Edmonds, a guy that had a kind of a rough start to his career. Second year was not at all. We expected to be, but these last two have been very solid for the Steelers. Now I think the problem, the part that people can't get out of their head is this is a former first round pick. You should be playing like a first round pick. Well, if that's your expectation, you're going to be disappointed still because Edmonds is not probably not going to live up to that billing as the 28th overall pick in the draft. But this is still a solid football player, whereas if he was drafted even in the second round, you'd be saying, no, that was a good pick by the Steelers. They got a quality safety who gave them four years of starting experience, essentially. And so uh, what what I'm really interested, what I'd be really interested to know is how does the Steelers coaching staff view Edmonds? 
because they were really rolling the dice with him, right? Like he, he was sitting there in free agency for a while testing the market and they were able to get him back really cheap to in $2.3 million, I believe uh, for this season. So did they just not think that highly of him? Did they know what his market was all along and they were willing to, I mean, it's, it, to me, it certainly seemed like they were willing to risk letting him go and finding somebody else to fill that role. And I don't know what would have happened if it would have changed their draft plan at all. Maybe the Steelers don't have George Pickens right now. If that was the plan, maybe they take a safety in the second round. I'm not sure. I just, I, I find that really interesting with Edmonds. I just don't know how high their view is of him, but I do agree that Edmonds definitely the front runner uh, above DeMonte KZ for that strong safety role. All right. We're going to wrap up here. Thank you, Michelle, for joining the show today. You can follow her on Twitter at BallBlastM. You can follow me on Twitter at Tommy Jaga. You can download the Still Curtain podcast wherever you get your podcast. And also check us out on YouTube. Thanks for listening to the Still Curtain podcast. Bye, y'all.